Last week, we, stated that, or we started this series leading up to Easter entitled Easter with a question mark. It is designed for us to consider what is Easter all about and is Easter really that important? We have been guided in this series by the definition that I constructed and it goes like this, if you'll remember. It's Easter, the celebration of God rescuing His creation from the brokenness caused by sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that people can have their relationship with Him restored through faith in order that they might live. And I confessed something last week, and I'll confess it again. It is a wordy definition, but we are breaking it down into chunks to make it manageable. And last week, we began with just the first four words, the celebration of God. And we considered how God is real. And because He is real, He is worthy of our worship, among other things. Today, we're going to look really at just two more words of this definition, His creation. All right, when we consider Easter, it is a celebration of God, but it is a celebration of what God did in regards to His creation. Now, why is this significant? Well, let's consider creation. Look back at Genesis 1, if you will, this morning. Beginning in verse 3, we see this pattern where the one true holy God begins to bring things into existence with purpose. Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In verse 6, it says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. In verse 9, it says, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Then in verse 11, it says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. In other words, what we see in the account of creation is God worked meticulously to design the world as we know it. Everything had its place and everything had a purpose. We also see that God spoke it and it came to be. This work by God extended to God creating the animal kingdom as we know it. And when he got finished with the animals, he sat back and he made an observation. In fact, let's look back at verse 25 here. It says, And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was what? Good. See, I love that summation. God saw that it was good. One thing that we may not do enough, I don't know about you, but I don't think we do this enough, is appreciate the beauty of God's creation. You know, I've not traveled extensively in my life, but I've traveled enough to realize this, that God's creation is a beautiful thing, is it not? It's a beautiful thing. I mean, there's great diversity and great beauty in the landscape. There's great (coughs) diversity and beauty in the animal kingdom. The world we live is a special place, and every bit of it gives testimony to the greatness of God. Our world may have some issues, but we should still look at the world and say this to God, all right? It is good, all right? That's what we should say. Now, as great as this part of creation is, when we get to verse 26, there is a change. In verse 26, God is still creating, but we see creation take a special turn. Let's read now verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, maybe you quickly read that and you say, well, there's no different than the rest of the chapter. I mean, God is still creating, but he here, he's just creating people. However, you must not overlook the fact that the creation of humans was unique and that God looked and said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Now, first, let's acknowledge the plurality of this statement. Some have wanted to look at that and say, well, this speaks of multiple gods. But folks, that is not the case. Some have even looked at this and said, well, God must be speaking to the host of heavens and say, let us do this, all right? Then others say this is speaking in reference to the Trinity of God. I'm going to tell you, I'm in that camp there where God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit working together says, let us make man in our image. He began to create something that was very special there. He was creating mankind in his image. Now, this is special because, catch this, no other part of creation, all right, no other part of creation was made in God's image. No one should ever look at the animal world and say, there's not much difference between animals and people. This verse makes it very clear that there is a significant difference, and that difference is this, that mankind bears the image of God. Now, don't make this mistake, though, of believing when it says mankind was made in the image of God, it's our physical image that we look like, all right? I know this, when I look in the mirror, I hope God looks something better than this, right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike, all right? I'm not right. I hope, all right? The Bible is clear that God is spirit And so the image that we bear is not one of a physical resemblance. Again, by creating us in his image, here's what God did. God placed in us a soul and a spirit that is designed to represent his character, his understanding, and his power on the earth. The the way we feel is supposed to reflect God in the world. The way we think is supposed to reflect God in the world. The way that we act is supposed to reflect who God is in this world. There is nothing in the animal world that comes close to reflecting all that God is other than man. Here's what we often do. We often try to project human qualities on animals. But hear me, folks. Animals act by instinct and training. Y'all understand that, right? They act by instinct and they act by training, all right? Humans have this unique ability to feel, to think, to process and act like no other part of creation because we are made in the image of God. Now, as we look at this further, it's not just that God made mankind in his image, but it says he blessed them, both male and female. He told them to multiply and to fill the earth, and then he told them they were to subdue the earth and have dominion over the creatures of the earth. In other words, God established mankind as the pinnacle of his creation. Mankind was placed at the top of all that God had done. In fact, in Psalms 8, 3 through 6, the psalmist makes it clear how special mankind is when he wrote this. He said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. In other words, the psalmist looks at all that God has made and then he stands in awe and then recognizes What a great privilege mankind has to be so highly thought of in the sight of God. 
He recognizes that mankind is truly special. Because if you remember, even a few minutes ago, I I read that when God finished creating the world and the things in it, he said it was good, right? Y'all remember that? All right. However, in verse, in verse 31, when God got finished creating man, this is what we read, in, read there. It says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. All right. See, after mankind was created, things were not just good, things were very good. Now, as we take a few moments to consider what this all means, there are at least three things that are true about people that we see here in Genesis. The first thing is this, is that all people have sanctity, all right? All people have sanctity. Now, sanctity is a word you've probably heard before. If nothing else, you've heard it on the day that we set aside to talk about the sanctity of life. But do you know what sanctity means? Do you know what it means? Maybe you say, I heard that word, but I'm not even sure what sanctity means. Well, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the definition of sanctity is the quality or the state of being holy or sacred. All right, the quality or state of being holy or sacred. Now, you might hear that definition and ask, well, why do you say that all people have sanctity if it means holy and sacred? You ask that because you've obviously observed people who don't act very holy, right? Right? And so you ask that, all right? So so what is this, all right? Well, let's consider again the creation of man. All right, then whose image was man created? God, right? What is God? He is holy and sacred. And so if we're created in his image, then part of that, it means this, as we're talking about, it means that we too are holy and sacred because holy and sacred means set apart. You see, when we talk about God as being holy, we talk about him being holy because there is no one or nothing like God, Amen. He's holy, he's sacred, he's completely set apart. He is far superior than all things, all right? What we saw earlier is that mankind is set apart from the rest of creation. We are unique and different from the rest of creation. We are special, we are holy, we are sacred because we are made in the image of God. In fact, the psalmist understood that when he declared this in Psalm 139, he says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See, maybe you think this is not important, okay? Maybe you hear me say this. You say, what's important about people being, you know, that they have sanctity? What does that mean? Well, have you noticed in our world today that we have lost the, the, the respect for the sanctity of life? Have you noticed it? I know this because every day, think about this, every day life is taken often without regard to its value. There are anywhere from 40 to 50 murders every day in the United States where life is taken without regret. Think about that. On top of that, there are 132 suicides every day in the U.S. where a person takes their own life feeling that there is no reason for them to live. Then consider this. In 2020, (coughs) there were nearly 1,700 daily abortions where the innocent life was taken because people viewed it as no more than tissue. Okay? If you ponder these statistics among others, what we see is happening in our today today is that we have lost the understanding of how special and how wonderful life is. 
Now, granted, some of these I've mentioned are people just losing perspective of the value of their own life. But hear me, we have lost respect for life in general in our society. We have forgotten how special life is. What we are called to do as people is to value life and to recognize that all people have dignity and that all people have worth in the sight of God. There should be some amens, all right? I, I would say this value of life starts... Are you ready? With you valuing your life. So many people today fight for their own self-worth. I know that is a fact because in my years of ministry, I've talked to probably hundreds of people, maybe thousands, I don't know, who have struggled with their own value. Remember what that verse we just looked at in Psalm 139, 14 stated? It says, you are wonderfully made. Hear me, you ready? God makes no junk. No life is invaluable. Yes, we have different gifts and abilities, but God values each life as unique and special. It is people who randomly assign greater value to some lives than others, but that is not God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to look at the people around you and say, you're special. All right. Now, most of y'all did that, right? Some of you didn't, all right? And here's what we're doing. We, we laugh about that, right? Think about it. Y'all laughing, are you not? You looked at it and showed somebody you're special, and we laughed about it. But here's what I want to say to you, okay? We laugh at that, but there may be some people this morning that was just told that, and they've never been told in their life they're special, That may be the first time they've ever heard that, or they don't think that about themselves. They don't believe that they are special, and they needed to hear that this morning. They need to be told they're special. In fact, let me encourage you to do something all your days. Tell people how special they are, okay? Don't keep quiet about that because there are people all around you, and you might save somebody's life just by letting them know how special they are. Do you hear me? It is important because people are special and they need to understand that. All right. You need to understand today that you are special this morning. Now, with your value established, let's never forget, we are called to protect life and fight for life and seek the best for all people. Now, granted, some people make it hard to recognize their value. Amen. Yeah, but when we forget that everyone is created in the image of God, we cast people aside and treat them as outcast and unimportant. Think about this. Jesus was often criticized for hanging with people that others discounted and considered outcast. Did he not? In Matthew 9, we see one of these occasions when we read this. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's what Jesus was demonstrating for us in that moment, is that all people have sanctity, that all people have value to God, and that we should do our best to value all people. We know that when Jesus, when he connected with people who were not living for God, his goal was to call them to repentance and to a different way to live. But he wants all people to live lives pleasing to God. However, he recognized that before you can help people walk with God 
You must first recognize their value or you will simply ignore them and discount them. See, let us be people who recognize the sanctity of every life and seek to reach those who need God. It might even be this, that some of those people are in prison today that we need to value and say, you have value in the sight of God. Some of those people may be people battling with addictions or those who you work with who have bad attitudes, but God is calling us to see every people as special, every person as special, and that everyone has sanctity of life. Do you get that? So let's value people. Now, besides sanctity, though, we need to recognize that all people have responsibility. When you hear responsibility, I don't know if you hear that as a good thing or a bad thing, but I want you to understand it as a good thing. Go back to what God said to mankind after creating man and woman in verse 28. He said, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have some dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. First of all, folks, God invited man and woman to be partners with him in creation. When he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, this was God looking at man and woman and saying, you're going to join me in my work. When a man and a woman come together to create a life, they are becoming a part of God's creative work. That is special and an important responsibility. You know, here's what God could have done. God could have simply filled the earth on his own. You know that, right? God could have spoken it and he could have spoken as many people into existence as he wanted. But here's what God did. He looked at man. He says, you're special. And what I'm going to do, I'm inviting you into my creative work. I want you to join me in what I am doing. Now, second, he said, you are to subdue the earth and have dominion over the rest of creation. Catch this. God didn't just look at mankind and say, now that I've created you, just exist. He, He didn't do that. He looked at them and said, now that I've created you, I've given you a purpose. And we need to understand this and understand that that the world needs us. Our world needs us to fulfill God's purposes upon his earth. Now, ultimately, what is God's purpose? Here it is. Ready? That his kingdom would expand on this earth. What I mean by that is that God's rule and his reign would expand. In fact, think about the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And really, we didn't sing it this Sunday, but the last two Sundays, we kind of sang the Lord's Prayer, if you were here, and remember that. Well, here's how the Lord's Prayer goes, if you remember. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your what? Kingdom come, your? On earth as it is in? You see, Jesus taught us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What God asked mankind to do from the very beginning is to be a part of his kingdom. Let's say it this way, to be a part of his rule and his reign on the earth, all right? It's it's that. Rather than just existing on the earth, he invited us to help his rule and his reign exist. Unfortunately, what people often have a tendency to do is ignore the work that God has called them to do. What people have a tendency to do is to be self-consumed, at time just exist, and fail to fulfill the responsibility that God has given them. In fact, I recently read a book and finished reading a book by Dr. Tony Evans that was a book, it was written specifically for men. But there's a paragraph that is good to share, but I want to apply it to both men and women. Listen to what he wrote in regards to what God intended for his creation and what it means to carry out the responsibility that God has given him. All right, look at what he wrote. God's kingdom consists of his comprehensive governance in all creation. His agenda is to advance his kingdom and in so doing to reveal his glory. 
God's subjects have been put here on earth to carry out his agenda. Therefore, a kingdom man and a kingdom woman may be defined as a man or woman who positions himself or herself and operates according to the comprehensive rule of God over every area of his or her life. And every area of life should feel the impact of a kingdom man or woman's presence, all right? You understand what he's saying? In other words, when a person is responsible to fulfill the call of God in his or her life, every aspect of life is affected and ultimately the world is a better place. Here's the question that we all have to answer is, are we going to fulfill God's responsibility that he has given us? You see, we can choose to just cruise through life or maybe choose to make life about us, or we can choose to be a part of what God is doing in the world and give our time, our energy, our passion to seeing God's agenda completed. I hope you understand being about God's agenda is what is more important. Do you understand that? More important than being how big your bank account is or how much you progress in your career or how fancy the house is you live in or how many extracurricular activities you participate in is you being able to say, I am participating in advancing God's kingdom and agenda in this world. In fact, in case you hear the words subdue the earth and have dominion over it and think that means it's all about you exercising your power, okay, and how powerful you can become, let's remember what Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 20. But Jesus called into him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, we have dominion. And yes, we have authority. But we should never mistake that for being self-serving. In God's eyes, greatness is seen in doing those things through serving others. As Jesus came to serve others and ultimately did it by giving his life, God is looking to us to advance his kingdom on this earth to advance his rule upon this earth, to, to, to advance his dominion on this earth, to advance that agenda by serving those around us and helping them come to know him and to know his rule in their lives. Do you understand that? You see, he's called us. That is our responsibility, which really takes us to the third thing we see that all people have. They have sanctity, they have responsibility, and they have accountability. When we consider the three things we're looking at this morning, people love to be told uh, that they have sanctity or that they are important and special to God. Most people even like to be told they have responsibility because people want to have a life of meaning. And so when they see that God wants us to be involved in His work in this world and being part of building His kingdom, they're okay with that. They like responsibility. However, if there is something that we want to ignore, it is that we have accountability because we often want to do our own thing, do we not? Shake your head this way. Yes, right, we do. What sometimes we forget is that although God has given us responsibility upon this earth that involves dominion, there is limits to our authority. In fact, look at Genesis 2, this time beginning in verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now here we read where God put man in the Garden of Eden, established his responsibility to work and to keep it. 
Even as part of that, he promised his provision because he told man that he could eat of every tree of the garden. He'd have all the food that he needed, but then he was to not eat of just one tree. That was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, there were going to be limits to how we live in order to demonstrate his submission to God. Now, I want to share another quote here from Tony Evans because, again, it's so appropriate. He said, the biblical concept of dominion or rule is neither a dictatorship nor a posture of domination, but rather it entails exercising legitimate authority under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Legitimate authority entails all that God provides for us and permits a man to do, but not all that a man wishes to do. Look, we will talk more about this next week. But for today, let's be reminded that just because we are made special by God and given special responsibility by God does not negate the fact that we are still under the ultimate authority of God. Got that? We're under His authority. If we make a mistake as humans, it is moving to the place where we make ourselves the ultimate authority and fail to follow God's lead. When we do that, the consequences are deadly, as it says here in Genesis 2, because for the man to fail to listen to God, the results would be death. Now, we might view this as a negative thing, but we shouldn't because, remember this, that God wants the best for his creation, and so to submit to his will is to find the best. Many people have even questioned, why did God even put this tree in the garden? And even some have gone so far as to say that everything wasn't good if this bad tree was there. However, can I say this, right? The tree was not bad. Neither was its presence a bad thing. Because catch this, if mankind was to have a free will, mankind had to have a choice. And if mankind was going to have a true relationship with God, There had to be a choice not to be in a relationship with him. The tree represented this choice. The tree allowed there to be the opportunity for a true, genuine relationship, not a relationship that was forced upon mankind to exist. And this tree reminds us that we have a choice to follow God or not. And there are consequences for that choice for which we are held accountable. There is blessing to be found when we choose to follow God and obey God, and there are consequences, negative consequences, when we choose to not follow God. Now, again, I'm going to say more about that next week, so you come back next week as I talk about that part, which you're all going to love, right? We're going to talk about more next week. Now, some at this moment may be asking the question, well, Brother Scott, I've heard what you've said. I've heard what you said today about people having sanctity and people having responsibility and people have an accountability. But what does that have to do with Easter? Great question, and I'm glad that you asked, okay? What this has to do with Easter is this, all right? That mankind is still special to God, and God is still at work in this world, all right? God did not like some people believe. Here's what some people believe, all right? He did not, what some people believe, created the world and then took his hand off of it and said, oh, I'm just going to sit back and watch what happens. Some people believe that's how God operated. They'll come as far as to say, oh, I believe that God created this world, but then they come down and say, no, no, God, God is not involved, all right? They, they take that approach to God and, and say, God doesn't really have anything to do with God's going on in the world. He's just watching it play out. The problem with that belief is this. You want to know what the problem with that belief is? The Bible doesn't say that's how God operates. 
All right. The Bible tells us this, right? That he is still at work, that God loves his creation, that mankind is still the pinnacle of that creation. And as we've seen that, God is still at work in the lives of his people. We will see next week specifically how the events of Easter figured into the life of mankind more clearly. But for today, let's understand this, that mankind is important to God. All right. Let's understand this today that you are important to God. Do you understand that? Okay. Do you? Maybe you're here this morning, and this is where you're at. You're struggling with your self-worth. You think your life has no meaning or purpose. I want you to understand that you have ultimate worth to God. Not only did he create you special, I want you to hear this, he continues to love you today. We will see in the weeks ahead that God still loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you to show you how much he loves you. Not only did he come to die to show you his love, Jesus came to die so that you could fulfill the purpose that God has for you. And Jesus came so that as you fulfill the responsibility of expanding his kingdom, here's the good news, that you could have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you to empower you and to help you carry out his plans. I'll even go on to say, which should become clear next week, that Jesus came because when you failed, all right, to hold up your accountability to God as you should, he came to rescue you from your failure. God loves his creation so much, he even made a way for us to be forgiven. Hallelujah. Right? Okay. Now, as we come to invitation, I'm going to confess something. All right. This is one of the days you come to the end of the message and you say, well, what kind of invitation do I really extend? It's one of those days. As a preacher, I say, okay, well, I talked about the, uh, how all life is, you know, there's a sanctity of life and, you know, we, we have, you know, this responsibility and we have accountability. But I look and say, what do I do? How, how do I end this, all right? Because really what I'm doing, I'm laying groundwork for next week and the weeks ahead. But I have no doubt that for some of you today, there's still a decision, that God is calling you to. For some, it may be coming to the altar to thank God for, for the reminder today that you're special and to pray that God will help you live out the truth because you're struggling with your worth. And maybe you need to come this morning and just say, God, I'm so thankful that I've been reminded today that I have worth because I've been so struggling. God, I just want to come and I want you to help me live out that truth in my life. Help me, God, as I struggle with my worth because I don't want to struggle anymore. So come and just say, Lord, show me, remind me how wonderful I am. Maybe some of you need to come today because you realize that God has given you responsibility of expanding his kingdom. And you need to come and say, Lord, would you show me the role that you've given me? Lord, show me how I can expand your kingdom upon this earth. For some, it might even be this. It might even be surrendering to ministry. Whether that's a volunteer ministry or a full-time vocational ministry, you need to come because you've been reminded God's given you a huge responsibility and you want to say, Lord, I'm ready to fulfill that responsibility. Whatever it is, I'm going to go and I'm going to make it publicly known today. Others of you, maybe you need to come this morning because here's what you've recognized. You've failed God and you bring that guilt. You've brought that here this morning and you need to get rid of that guilt. Good news, you ready? God will meet you at this altar today. If you'll confess your failure, he's ready to forgive you and give you a new start. 
And I believe every time we give an invitation, it's always an invitation for people to come and meet with God and receive his forgiveness and a new start, all right? Or maybe even some of you heard me a while ago talk about baptisms on Easter, and you said, Brother Scott, that's me, and you want to come this morning and even make it known. I'm ready. I want to be one of those people on Easter Sunday that's baptized in the Lord. I want to let you know this morning. I've been chickening out for years, but no more, God. I'm coming this morning. See, I don't know what your need is, but here's what I believe. As we come to the end of looking at God's word, it's a time for you to respond to the Lord and what is your need. This altar is here. Maybe you just have a prayer time. You need to extend. You didn't get enough prayer earlier. You need to come back. The altar's here. You need to make a decision. We're here. Brother Jacob will be over there. I'll be over here. We'll pray with you. We'll talk with you. But as we have an invitation, it's a time for you to respond to the God who created you, who loves you, and wants the best for you. Is there something you need to do this morning before you leave? Is there something? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come this morning, I'm just so thankful that when we look into your word, we are reminded today that you have created mankind special. I pray, Father, we would never lose sight of the specialness of all of your creation, but Father, specifically, we, your people. Forgive us, God, when we've lost sight of that or we've lost sight of our responsibility Or, Father, maybe even when we haven't been as accountable to you as we should. Because, Father, we know that you want the best for us. And we know, Father, that when we walk in your will, we follow your way, that, Father, you have a great plan for your creation. And so as we come to this invitation, Father, I don't know what you're doing, what you're speaking to hearts, but, God, I know that you want to move, you want to change lives today. And so I pray during this invitation time, people will just come and they'll commune with you. They'll talk with you, God, because that's what you really want from us. Not fancy words, not flowery words. God, you just want us to come and have a conversation with you. And so, Lord, during this time, if there's some that need to talk with you about something, I pray that they would come to this altar and have a moment where they just have that talk. And, Father, that you would respond to them and they would listen to your voice as you speak. Whether that's coming and saying, you're special, my child, or whether it's saying, Here's what I have for you to do, or whether it's, again, maybe them saying, I'm ready to forgive you in Christ if you'll place your faith in Jesus. Whatever it is, I pray, Father, they'll hear your voice and they'll respond today. Because I do know you're a good God. You're still at work in this world. You're at work in our lives. And I want you to have your way in us. And so bless this time, I pray. We just give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.